0: Okay, so compassion is a good thing. I assume you know my views on that. I have episodes here such as five evidence-based benefits to mental health of compassion, five more evidence-based benefits of compassion in our community, 10 guiding principles to living a compassionate life. So yes, compassion is a good thing, but our compassion is not boundless and it's useful to be aware of this, reflect on it a little, and work out what might get in the way of our own compassion. Having boundaries makes complete sense, but our compassion can also be bounded by certain appraisals, judgments, biases, that can often be brought to consciousness, examined and softened, or even discarded. Check out the article by Goetz and Colleagues from 2010, for a thorough look at all of this. So here are five ways our compassion is not boundless. First, the relevance, closeness or similarity of the sufferer to the self and or the goals and values of the self. Put simply, we're more likely to be compassionate towards someone who is like us, especially our own family and friends, but also people who are similar in terms of belonging to the same community, the same nation, culture or race. Let's think about this. We might say, but my compassion is for all sentient beings. Okay, so at one level, we strive to be sensitive to suffering in all sentient beings and try to alleviate and prevent their suffering. If we're walking along a path and we see an ant, we may very well purposely not step on the ant so as to avoid causing it suffering. But let's do a little thought experiment. Earlier this year, the city I live in suffered from terrible flooding. Many people's houses were inundated and they lost everything. Imagine you became aware of a person who suffered such a loss, a stranger, someone who you didn't know. What degree of compassion might you have experienced for this person? How willing would you be to help? Now imagine that the person was in fact an acquaintance, perhaps someone you vaguely knew from work. What degree of compassion or willingness to help might you experience now? Or imagine that the person who has lost everything is a friend or a very close friend or a family member, or perhaps your own parents or your own children. How much compassion might you experience then? How willing might you be to help those people? Now, you might say, I would help them all, but there is something very important in all this. We are more likely to help someone who is suffering but who is somehow more relevant to us, or similar to us, or who has similar goals and values, and especially someone with whom we feel emotionally close. You can probably imagine, therefore, that there may be certain others who we feel less inclined to be compassionate towards, and it makes sense in evolutionary terms. It might be quite adaptive to look after kin, and so on but our tribal nature can be a boundary for compassion, causing us to be less likely to be compassionate towards others who we perceive to be different to us. Second, our view of the sufferer's deservingness of our help and compassion, whether we deem them to be trustworthy, cooperative, of good character, and even the extent to which we believe they are to blame for their own suffering. All of this can influence our willingness to offer them compassion. For example, charities that support children and young people are often in the top 10 performing charities in Australia. Charities such as The Smith Family, World Vision Australia, Police Citizens Youth Clubs work hard to support children and young people who are suffering due to no fault of their own children are often seen as quite blameless in their suffering. Other charities, for example those working with drug addiction or adult offenders, can sometimes find it much more difficult to attract donations. When we feel that the person didn't even try to avoid the suffering, didn't put in the effort, or in fact did something wrong or bad or broke the rules and thus caused their suffering, then we feel less sympathy and more anger and therefore less compassion. Think about your own life, say a friend who has fallen into strife, but due to their own so-called bad choices. Sometimes it can feel just that little bit more difficult to feel sympathy for them or to feel motivated to help. Third, whether or not we feel we're able to cope with the situation at hand and the difficult emotions that might bring can influence whether or not we offer to help. If we have high coping self-efficacy and we believe our resources to cope outweigh the demands of the situation, then we're more likely to take compassionate action. However, if we have low coping self-efficacy we're not sure we can cope with the situation, then approaching another's suffering may cause us personal distress and therefore we feel motivated away from compassion and towards relieving that distress. I remember the devastating images from 2015 of the little boy who had died fleeing Syria and whose body was washed up on a beach in Turkey. The immediate reaction of many was to turn away from the television, change the channel, feeling unable to cope with the emotions those images evoked. Interestingly, though, one study by Slovak and colleagues found that in the aftermath of the image being displayed around the world, donations to the Swedish Red Cross campaign for Syrian refugees was 50 times greater in the week following the photo compared to the week before the photo. This might suggest that the emotional impact of the photo, the ability to identify with a specific individual who had suffered, and the empathic effect this had, helped to increase compassionate action, at least in the form of donations. But again, translated into our day-to-day lives. We might know someone who is suffering, perhaps through bereavement, but we feel worried about the difficult emotions we might experience, and so we avoid giving them a call. Fourth, our compassion can be blocked when we don't really know what to do to help, or in some way, we're not confident that we can effectively aid the person who is suffering. It's very difficult to know what to do about the issue of homelessness. And so many people might walk right past the homeless person who's huddling amongst their meager possessions because they really don't know what they could do to help. It takes a lot of wisdom to be compassionate and practice and genuine attempts to help and then reflecting and reviewing the help given and how effective it was before perhaps trying again. So there are the four appraisals that influence whether or not we're motivated towards taking compassionate action. Perhaps it goes a little like this. Who is the person suffering? How similar, relevant or close are they to me? How deserving are they of my help? Or how much are they to blame? for their suffering. How confident am I that I can cope with this situation? How confident am I that I can help? The fifth way that our compassion is not necessarily boundless is that it is very important to have healthy boundaries. Renee Brown describes this nicely in a video that I've linked in the description below. She defines boundaries as working out what's okay and what's not okay and there's the boundary. And if we can work that out and be kind and clear about our boundaries, then we can be more loving, more generous and more compassionate. And I always remind myself about the flows of compassion here. We want to have a balance between the compassion we give others and the compassion we receive, whether that be the compassion we receive from others or the compassion we offer ourselves. In a way, good boundaries can help us with this balance, avoiding being too depleted, too fatigued, and ultimately avoiding anger, resentment, and hatred. So that's it. Five ways that our compassion is not boundless. The idea here is to bring awareness to these possible boundaries, especially the unconscious appraisals and biases that can block our compassion. Sometimes in very subtle ways. We want to notice, ah, there's a little bias. It's not my fault. It's probably part of my evolved brain. But I want to try to cultivate compassion and broaden my circle of compassion. I want to include people who are different to me, even those who might have made choices in their lives that contributed to their suffering. And I want to develop my coping and my distress tolerance, and my compassionate wisdom and skills so that I can be there for others and be helpful. And I wanna do all of this with one eye on myself and my own needs so I don't get used up and depleted, but rather can sustain a compassionate life for the long haul.